Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Andy, meet Andy. Hello. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Look at this. Two Filipino brothers on stage. Two Filipinos this. walk into a room. No, I'm just, I don't know. Yep. <laughs> I don't know how the rest of that joke goes. Yeah, neither do I. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the joke is the next five minutes. Yeah, that's right. That, come on, that's funny. All right. Uh, welcome. Welcome to Vox. We're glad that you're with us. Uh, hey, there we go. Uh, if you're new to Vox, um, we are a community of people that want to make Jesus beautiful. We give space uh, for doubt, skepticism, questions, um, anger, frustration, lament, you name it. All of that in between uh, is welcome here at the table with Jesus. And so um, we're glad that you're with us. So uh, a couple quick announcement things that Andy's going to get into, and yep. then we'll talk about the service. Yep. Uh, a few things. Uh, throw up whatever I got in the announcements. I think I got the junior high uh, thing for today, maybe. Daniel, is it there? If it's not, no big deal. Um, so today after service, um, we do have an actual, um, keep that one there for a minute. Um, we do have um, our junior high parent meeting um, right after service at 12 p.m. So see Will, who is teaching today, um, out on the patio after that. So, because we're developing an actual group for junior high and talking a lot about that. Hey, yo. Yes. Um, yeah, so if you're a parent and you want to be there, if you have kids you want to be there, um, that's going to be our chance to kind of share with what we're thinking of doing and, and how we're going to roll that out and get into that. Um, secondly, um, our next uh, care workshop is on September 14th. So if you've participated in these, they've been um, wonderfully successful by means of the feedback you've given us. They've been well attended and uh, Carrie has been teaching those. And uh, over the past year, we've just been on a journey of hearing from you guys about the need for deeper spiritual care, deeper mental care, deeper conversations around physical care and just, you know, what does it mean to, you know, be healthy, but kind of very holistically and considering all these different things, whether it's depression, anxiety, um, and then how to be someone who can walk with others dealing with the same thing too. So this week or this uh, session um, is with our special guest. I forgot his name, Jeff Myers. Boom. There it is. Um, who is, we're going to be talking about um, healing and empathy. So, or, and listening and empathy. So it has to do a lot with how to walk alongside someone who is dealing with it. And then also if you're dealing with it, what does that communication relationship look like? So so we're kind of team teaching on that one there. So sign up um, on the website. They're free. Did you mention that this one is the first one for men as well, right? Um, yeah. So all of, well, all of the workshops we've done have been for both men and women. The difference is at the end of the workshop, we usually offer some form of a next step. Most of the next steps we've had have been mainly for women through Freedom Center OC since Carrie's focus has been a lot in kind of the women's ministry field. But um, we've been deeply compelled by that over the summer, really talking about what uh, what can we do and what can we offer for some guys to take some next steps. So Jeff is actually um, a guy who's going to have some of those um, things that you could do after the workshop if you want to get deeper and more involved in what that's about. Thank you for reminding me. Yep. Yep. Um, and then uh, thirdly, I have third and fourthly, actually. Um, it's I don't have slides. If you go to the website, uh, we did open up our fall uh, through spring box dinners again. So they used to be called Table Fellowships. Uh, we slightly changed the name because it's really just dinner. <laughs> That's all it really is. So uh, we have a handful of folks that have opened up their homes um, in which you just show up, you have dinner, and you hang out, and you get to mingle and meet people uh, that are here at a part of Ox community. Um, next week, I'm going to do um, kind of a bigger explanation on philosophy around table fellowship that helps us to understand why something like that is actually part of uh, what we do here. Um, but that's on the website as well. Um, lastly, 
Um, we did Lectio Divina last week. Yes, we did. Yes. Um, explain that again for folks who maybe weren't here. So the Lectio Divina is something that's been around for thousands of years. And basically, Lectio Divina means sacred reading. Um, and collectively, the church has done this for forever. Well, not forever, but thousands of years. Um, and it puts into perspective a calendar. And so everyone reads an Old Testament passage, a response, and then a New Testament passage and a response. And so we allowed um, our community to gather here. And instead of having a person teach from the stage, uh, each person got to do the four rhythms of the Lectio, which is to, to read, to pray, to meditate, and then to contemplate, and then share, which was awesome. I think I got lots of good feedback from people who were sharing. And they said that we just didn't have enough time to share. We wanted right. to share more, which is beautiful because that's what the community is supposed to do. Right. So people have asked, where do we get the verses? Because we want to read more of the verses. So Right. So um, we put it on the website, naturally. So um, what we're going to do is we'll keep loading up that web page with just other verses along the way. Currently, we've added two verses, and there's a bit of an explanation of the process for how to do that at home. Um, so just givoxoc.com, right on the homepage. You can click from there, and it's a page with a, a New Testament verse and an Old Testament verse, um, and then that process. And then over time, we'll actually just conti continue to add different verses on that page that you can um, utilize and, and, and do that process. Yep there. So, yeah, that's all I got. Cool. So this morning, uh, what we'll have is uh, a little bit of Q&A, which is another part of Vox. So if you're new with us or you're just kind of coming for a few times, uh, we value questions. We value feedback. And we want people to be able to engage in these questions because we really think that the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. So if you have questions, feel free to submit them. We have a text number. You can text your questions in um, during the message or during the worship or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be theological. You can ask about why we do what we do. And so we'd love to answer those things as well. So we'll do a little bit of that. And then uh, we'll have some worship uh, that we'll sing. And so you're free to respond in that way. There's no uh, coercion. It's simply invitation if you want to stand. However you want to worship, that's totally on you. Uh, and then we'll have communion, which is really the center focal point of why we gather, which is the Eucharist uh, that we get to remember. And it's an open Eucharist. It's not that, hey, you have to do these steps before you can take communion. No, we think that um, when Jesus set the table, it was for everyone to come and to partake. And so uh, this is a chance for everyone to commune this way. And then um, we'll sing a little bit more songs and then we'll usually gather out there and hang out. And so we also have uh, participation boxes that you'll notice on the door in the, the patio. And so if you want to participate in what we're doing financially, you can do that. We'd love to do, there are lots of people who participate that way and we're grateful for that. We couldn't do this without them. Um, so if you want to that way, you can. And another way that you can participate, perhaps even harder than giving money, believe it or not, is actually serving, uh, giving your time to actually be here and help set up and be a part of the children's programs. Um, so we want to invite you into that as well. There's opportunities to serve. And so, cool. and then uh, lastly, if at any time um, you're looking to talk with someone, uh, you need prayer or looking for other follow-up and conversations, um, I'd say seek out our community pastor team. Um, they're around the room wearing um, orange lanyards. Um, you can find them after service. Um, during communion, uh, they'll actually be near that door over there and people can pray for you over there. Uh, you can always email care at voxoc.com too. Great. We got Great. some questions? Questions. Yep. Let's throw them up. Question one. Last Sunday's interactive lesson with Ronnie was wonderful. During the meditation and reflection, I heard God's voice speaking to me. Then during the week, I read the entire chapter of Isaiah 30 and felt this passage was about a voice behind you was written to the nation of Israel and not to an individual. Can I get some clarification on this? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Good question. Great question. Uh, I, I love it. I love the fact that our, our, our community is aware of the text. And so I think uh, just to kind of go a little bit deeper and, and elaborate, because I think the question um, needs it. Uh, when we read scripture, it's important to understand that 
while scripture is for us, it wasn't written to us. I know that sometimes for some people are like, wait, what? Yeah, no, it wasn't written to you. It was written to a specific group of people in a particular context, socially, uh, at a time and a place. And so it was meant uh, for to them, but it's also for us. And so when we, we approach the scriptures, we've got to remember that first and foremost, right? That's an important thing. Now, in terms of application, when we do something like the Lectio, when we go into the Old Testament passages and you read something about Zion or Jerusalem or you know a voice behind you and it's talking to Israel, how does that apply? Well, here's the beautiful part. As a New Testament follower of Jesus, uh, Jesus opened up access to God, which tells us that we are invited or gra- better yet grafted or even a better word is adopted into the family of God, which means that we're adopted into the greater narrative that is scripture. So while scripture primarily deals with Israel and you see promises and things in, in Israel, as New Testament believers, Jesus invites us to enter into that. Now we're adopted, which means that we get to partake in the larger story. So when we read scripture, we can still see how God interacts with his people. Now, this is important distinction between saying, okay, so the promises in the Old Testament are not necessarily applicable to us. I'll give you a perfect example. Everyone loves Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for bad to give you a future and hope. People put this in their bathrooms and, they, and I get it, I understand what, why, uh, but that promise is not for you and me. Now. When you read that passage, what you can see is that you uh, are, God is revealing himself through that passage to us. And anytime you read anything in scripture and God's character is revealed to you, that is for you. Because you are now entering into the presence of who God is. And so we can read Old Testament passages like Isaiah 30, where we see God is dealing with the people who he's called them to be a light, they weren't a light. And so now he's given them judgment and put them in exile. But then we see God's incredible mercy and grace and love for his people. So when we read an Old Testament passage like that, we can go, what's God's character like? Well, he has endless mercy and he has endless grace for us. Even when we make mistakes, even when we fail, that God still loves us. So we can take that promise, that promise, and apply it to ourselves. And another thing too, I'll just say this, I know I'm going long, but a lot of times we'll read scripture and go, how does this apply to me? I think that's the wrong question. I think the question is, how do I apply to it? The Bible is first and foremost this human book, right? Written by human beings. And so when we look at the passage, we can see humanity in it. We can see ourselves in it. And so we ask ourselves, how do I apply to this? What is happening in the human condition here that is also similar to me? And how do I see what God does? And how does he step into the interaction with people? So very, very, very good question. Hopefully we'll get some more questions like that and we'll kind of dig a little bit deeper into um, more of the exegesis and how do we uh, look at scripture and apply it to our life. Right, and if that answer dug up lots of other questions please keep it, coming. <laughs> keep it coming yes all right next question i came in late so maybe you mentioned this but sometimes uh, i've heard a, a hard time separating myself from the people of zion good i'm not them you're right you're not uh how can i how can i know that this word was spoken for me to hear uh and assume that because it was spoken to them it's also spoken to me when it was spoken to very specific people so i kind of answered that a little bit in the last question um again the promises in the old testament are not necessarily for us not all of them some of them are but not all of them are and so we have to be careful about taking it and the other thing i should have said this last time it's important that when you read scripture that you don't just start making up doctrine and applying certain things that aren't applicable to us, you know, and um, that's important. Sometimes people will take something and they'll just make it a truth and it's not about us or it's not written to us. And so that's a, a, a huge distinction that we need to make uh, when we're reading scripture. So uh, you're right to ask that question, um, kind of shared it earlier. So I think that's it, right? Uh, yeah, and the third one I think was, oh, can you put, 
Yeah, oh. so we did that. So that's on the website, boxoc.com. Now you can kind of follow along and do your own. Um, yeah, yep. Lectio Divina. Yep, exactly. Yep. All right, great. That's it. We're going to bring out Will. Well, and, is Will uh, ready? Hello? Will's not ready. Oh, there he is. It's Will. Do you guys know Will also plays the drums for us as well and teaches? And, and now he's going to lead our junior high ministry. Like, what don't you do? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Many things. Everything that you guys do. <laughs> Andy's job description, I will never understand. It's like techno genius. I don't know. Um, but yes, uh, on the note of junior high, uh, we are having a parent meeting today. Are there any junior hires in the room right now? They're all sinking below. Like, <laughs> what's up, guys, wherever you are? Um, but yes, we are uh, launching a, a junior high ministry here at Vox and really excited for that. So two things. Uh, we're having a meeting today for, for families and students, but also if you want to get involved and be a part of what's happening, then you can also come today just to kind of hear what we're planning. Maybe you've been at Vox for a while and haven't quite figured out where you want to step in and serve. And uh, again, if you're interested in something new that's happening and that's just getting going, then uh, please come talk to me after. I'd love to uh, talk to you about that. All right. Uh, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 4 today. If you want to go there on your phone or in your Bible, it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, but I was thinking this week about life rhythms, the things that we do over and over and over, like sleeping, eating, driving, working out. Well, for some of us, not me. But uh, hopefully working out is a regular thing. And here at Vox, we have these rhythms that we also do again and again. One of them is opening the scriptures each week. And why do we do that? Imagine you started a book club and you told them, okay, so every week we're going to read the same book. And once we reach the end of that book, we're going to go back and read it again. I think it'd be the world's smallest book club, party of one, most likely. But yet that's what we do here at Vox, is we come back to the scriptures week after week after week. Why do we do that? And I think the answer is because just like we depend on the other rhythms of life, sleep and food for life, and to survive, the same is true of the scriptures. And I love what Ronnie began last week with Lectio Divina because for most of us, it's rare that we just kind of stop and sit in, in the scriptures and ponder them. Life's fast, it's moving. So this morning, in many ways, I'm building off of what he started um, because this rhythm of going to the scriptures is actually one of the ways that we make Jesus beautiful. The clearest pictures we have of who he is come from the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so to make him beautiful, we actually have to know who he is. We have to be familiar with him. And that's why we return to these stories, to this book again and again and again. Even with all the questions we have about it, and some of the things we don't understand, we, we're given this clear, wonderful picture of Jesus. So Luke 4 is where we'll be, and the goal this morning is simple, just to remind ourselves of who he is. That's our agenda, to look at his life in just one moment of his life and to remind ourselves of who he is. So uh, Luke chapter 4, um, to set that up, 
uh, because we're, we're jumping in at chapter four. So in the first three chapters of the Gospel of Luke, we're given these different glimpses of who Jesus is, and I wanna take us to one of my favorites, uh, to a man named Simeon. This is in chapter two. And quick backstory on Simeon. He loved God, he was faithful, Luke tells us that about him, but he was given a promise. And do you guys remember what that promise was? He was told that he would not die until he saw the Jewish Messiah, the king, the one that they had been waiting for. And as best we can tell, Simeon waited on that promise from God for years until he was an old man. And he waited and he wondered when it would actually come to pass. Luke chapter two records this incredible moment when he finally sees Jesus with his own eyes. And so here it is. In Luke 2, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. So he's holding Jesus as a baby. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. And here's where I want us to kind of focus in because uh, these words are gonna follow us through Luke chapter four. This is what Simeon says. This child, Jesus, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Simeon, I just picture this moment. You have this old man. His hands are unstable because of old age, but yet wise. And he's looking into the face of a baby and he says, I'm holding the salvation of the world. And his parents look on at the scene and they're amazed that this old man has just walked up to them and is saying these things. And he says two things. He says, this child will cause many to rise and fall. And also, this child will reveal the hearts. He will show what's inside people. And this is something I think we overlook often with Jesus. But Luke refuses to let us have this sort of trivialized, shallow, watered-down view of who Jesus will be, even from this moment. We're told that as Jesus goes throughout the world and he gets his message out, that there will be division surrounding him, that he will bring salvation and hope, but that not everyone will accept it. And Luke, I think, leads us to ask, uh, where do we stand in this prophecy that Simeon gives? When we encounter Jesus, do we rise or do we fall? What do we actually think about him? Who do we say that he is? And so Luke 4, uh, before we jump into uh, the passage, this is a pivotal moment in Jesus' life. He spends the first 30 years of his life sort of privately with his family, and then all of a sudden he steps out into his public ministry. So this is the moment in his life, the first sermon he gives that we have record of. And the first time he, we get to hear and listen in on what he says um, as he is in the synagogue. Um, and so let's start in Luke 4, uh, verse 14. 
Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. So this is the first summary we get about Jesus' ministry, and it says that as he taught and as he started healing, that the word about him spread through the countryside. This is sort of the honeymoon stage of Jesus' ministry where everyone's talking about him. There's anticipation, there's excitement. People wanna know uh, who he is, and now he comes back to his hometown, so Jesus, the local boy, uh, walks into Nazareth, and he's in the synagogue, And let's keep reading. It says, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. This is Jesus' first moment, and we're going to kind of unpack this right now, what he said and how much is just packed into the short quotation that he gives. So we hear Jesus stands up to read, and he sits down to teach, which is common practice. We see Jesus do that all throughout his ministry. But there's something special. Wow, it's already up there. Amazing. Uh, There's something special about how Luke has written the story. It's something called a chiasm, and it's a, a Jewish style of writing that places the main point in the middle. Now, for us, when we're telling a story, where does the main point usually happen? At the end, right? It's the moral, the lesson comes at the end. It's sort of the idea of a punchline. But for a lot of Jewish stories and writing, it comes in the middle. So Luke has one of these chiasms right in the middle of what we just read. So you can see the first layer is Jesus stands up. At the end, he sits down. Second layer, he unrolls the scroll, then he rolls it back up. Luke's doing this intentionally to show us. And right there in the middle is Isaiah 61. Isaiah chapter 61 is what Jesus reads, what he's quoted in the middle of the synagogue. And as soon as he starts reading this, the Jews in Nazareth all around him are captivated for two reasons. One, they've heard about him. People are saying all kinds of things about Jesus of Nazareth, and now he's home. What will he say? The, the story says all eyes were fastened on him. It was quiet. There was anticipation. People were on the edge of their seats. The second reason that they were anticipating what he would say next is because Jesus quoted a passage that meant everything to them. And like Ronnie was just sharing with us, you know, every part of scripture was written to, to a group of people or an individual originally. And sometimes it's hard for us to know, okay, what what was going on when this was first written? So here's the background of Isaiah chapter 61. Um, Isaiah was a prophet that lived about 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And he had the joy and privilege of what every prophet 
it seems like in the Old Testament did. He was pronouncing judgment and destruction on the nation. How would you like that job? And he told the nation of Israel, because you have turned away from God, you are going to be taken, captured by Babylon. And he predicts this. In 586 BC, it happens. You guys probably know this, that Israel was taken uh, by Babylon, ripped from their homes, their lives, and for 70 years, they were captives. But Isaiah also predicted the good news. He said, after you have been in Babylon for 70 years, I, the Lord, will bring you back. And that's what Isaiah 61 is talking about. It's the good news. It's the the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's why Isaiah 61 says things like freedom for the prisoners, releasing the oppressed, because that's what the people needed to hear at that time. Now, Isaiah 61, over the centuries, became, uh, took on new meaning. And so the Jews in Jesus' day, they knew what Isaiah 61 meant in the past about the exile and Babylon and all that, but the, the chapter also had taken on another meaning. They believed that Isaiah 61 talked about a coming age where God would lift up the Jewish people, put them in charge of the entire world where other nations would come and bow down to them. And so when Jesus started reading this, they were excited. They thought, could it be that Jesus is talking about this new age, the one we've been longing for? Remember what Jews in Jesus' day had to live through daily. The land that they lived on, the land that they farmed and worked wasn't even their own. It was run and owned by uh, powerful overlords who had taken it from them, most likely. Jews in Jesus' day knew what it was like to walk by scenes of crucifixion and to see their fellow Jews suffering and dying agonizing deaths on crosses. Jews in Jesus' day knew what oppression was like under a taxation system that was oppressive and unjust and unchecked. Jesus, or Jews in Jesus' day knew what it was like to be pushed around, beaten down, By law, a Roman soldier could at any moment force a Jew to carry their gear, their weapons, whatever they wanted for up to a mile. This is the world they live in. And so here's Jesus now before them saying, listen to the words of Isaiah 61. And something is awakening in these people listening. And they wonder, could it be? It's going to happen, finally, that Rome is going to be pushed out and that God is going to do what he promised to do 700 years ago in Isaiah 61. Now, there's one more thing. Are you guys doing good so far? Okay, I know this is heavy, heavy information, but uh, there's one more thing that Jesus mentions here in Isaiah 61. It's in verse 19. He says, I've been anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now for us, probably a little hazy, okay, what is that? The Jews listening knew exactly what that was. The year of the Lord's favor points to an amazing day in Jewish tradition called the year of Jubilee, okay? Anyone heard of that, year of Jubilee? Okay, good. And the year of Jubilee happened once every 50 years. Okay, this was God's idea. Listen to the heart of God. Every 50 years on the year of Jubilee, all debts would be forgiven. 
Anything that you owed someone, wiped clean. Uh, slaves, set free. If you had fallen on hard times and had to sell yourself into slavery, you would be released. If property had been seized because you couldn't maintain or pay for it, returned to you every 50 years. It was this amazing time of freedom and forgiveness and new life. And how it worked practically, uh, the, the year of Jubilee came on the heels of an annual holy day called the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, once a year, the priest, the, the high priest would uh, confess the sins of the people. He would offer a lamb as a sacrifice. And he would basically proclaim, Israel, you are clean. You are new. You are forgiven. And that would happen every year. But every 50 years, on that exact day, as soon as the priest declared, you are clean as a nation, all is forgiven, then trumpets would blast and it would be proclaimed, Jubilee has begun. And all the debt would be removed. Property would be returned. This whole thing would go down. And I love uh, what one of my friends said this week as we were talking about this, about the year of Jubilee. He said, as a Jew, you might experience this once in your life that you could remember once in your life you would get this taste of that type of freedom and that type of forgiveness. And it was something that you longed for. Every 50 years, only once. So all of these things, the coming age where God would restore the Jewish people, the year of Jubilee, Jesus is tapping into all of these big themes. The Jews, it says, every eye was on him. And what does Jesus say? He says, today, all of these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what he's saying is, all of these things, the hope you've been looking for, the freedom and forgiveness and liberation that you long for, but that hasn't been given to you, is in me. I am true forgiveness. I am true rest. I am true liberation. You've been looking for salvation and it's standing right in front of you. That's what Jesus says here in the midst of this sermon in his hometown. And it's powerful. The, the claims he's making are massive. He says, all of the promises of the Old Testament point to me. The history of our nation points to me. And they're amazed. Look at verse 22. It says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But then look at their question. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. People listening to Jesus and what he's saying are conflicted because on one hand, he's talking about everything they've hoped for, but on the other, they're like, man, I grew up with this guy. Right? Isn't this Jesus? Isn't that the boy that made us a table with his dad years ago? He's claiming to be the, the savior of the world. And so they're not sure uh, what, to, what to think. And, um, you know, sometimes the hardest people to reach are the ones who are close to you, right? The ones you've grown up with. And this is why people avoid high school reunions, right? It's like people spend 10, 20 years trying to change their reputation, to grow, mature, you know, move on. 
And then all it takes is just stepping into a room with all your old high school friends and the stories start flying, you know, memories and the old stigmas are placed back on you. And that's what's happening here. Wow, Jesus, great, great speech, but you're like Carpenter's kid. So, you know, and it leads them to think these thoughts. They can't even speak them. Jesus already knows it. And so Jesus sort of goes on the offensive here and he addresses exactly what is going on in their hearts. He, he senses their skepticism. And so he says this, Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And so um, this little proverb, it, physician, heal yourself, it shows up outside of the Bible and other ancient literature. It was just like a saying that everyone would have known. Think of any American saying that you could drop and people would immediately recognize it. He's using this. And basically, physician, heal yourself is an ancient way of saying, prove it. Jesus, you are claiming something big, granted. I don't want to minimize. Jesus was claiming things that really no one else was claiming. And so they say, prove it. Do in Capernaum, or do what you did in Capernaum here in Nazareth. And the backstory there is Jesus had healed a demon-possessed man. Word gets out. No one had seen such power, such amazing miracles. And so they say, will you do it here like you did there? And uh, spoiler alert, Jesus says, no. I'm not going to perform for you. I'm not going to do it. There's some entitlement here in Nazareth. Okay, Jesus, so you're going to prove yourself and show your power to the town down the street. But when you come to your own, the people who raised you, Jesus, you're, you're not willing to, to do this. And Jesus says, nope, but here's what I will do. I'm going to explain how my salvation works. And when I'm done, you can tell me if you still want it. Because there's no sense in me proving something that you don't want in the first place. Jesus has the wisdom to see that. And what he's doing points back to Simeon's words. This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. This baby will be a revealer of what's in people's hearts. And Jesus is about to draw out what's inside of their hearts. And he does it in one of his favorite forms of teaching, which is stories. And so he points to two of the most popular Old Testament prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And he tells the story to draw out of them what's already there. So verse 24. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So already we get a sense of where Jesus is going to go with these stories. He's literally standing in his hometown of Nazareth. No prophet is accepted. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And then listen to the reaction to the story. 
Okay, some of you might be a little lost by these stories. We're going to unpack those. But look at verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. So what just happened? Okay, they're interested in what he's saying. They ask for a sign. Jesus tells two stories from the Old Testament, ones that they know well, and suddenly they're fuming angry. What has just happened here? Um, Well, Jesus has pointed to two of Israel's most famous prophets who lived in dark, dark days. Days in Israel when most of God's people had turned their backs on him, worshiping pagan gods, rejecting God's offer of love and covenant. And so in those days, there's these two stories that seem so random to us. What do they have in common? Okay, there's a a widow mentioned. There's this guy named Naaman. Both of those people are Gentiles. Both of those people lived outside of Israel. By Jewish definition, both of those people should have nothing to do with finding God, knowing him, being a part of his family. And yet, those two, back in the Old Testament, this widow and this man named Naaman, were the, some of the only people to, to discover the one true living God. While Jews missed him, they found him. Well, God's people turned their backs, these Gentiles embraced him, and Jesus is saying in these stories, Nazareth, that's exactly what's happening here. You want nothing to do with God's salvation. He tells these stories about Gentiles coming into the family of God, and for Nazareth, in their mind, Gentiles had no place in the age to come. It was a time when Gentiles were removed or made into slaves, but not a time when they were included. And Jesus tells these two Old Testament stories where Gentiles are really the heroes of the story, and suddenly it clicks for them as they listen, and they realize what Jesus has been doing all along. And so I'm going to take us back to Isaiah 61. Remember those few verses that Jesus talks about. He quotes, he reads from the scroll. Jesus did something as he read. Um, He actually cut out a verse. He left one out. And he's the son of God, so he's allowed to do that. (laughs) But let me show you what he cut out. I think we have it on a slide. Starting in verse 1, this is, again, Isaiah 61. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom, release from darkness for the prisoners, and then watch this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance for our God. Jesus leaves out the line, the day of vengeance for our God. And then he proceeds to talk about how these two Gentiles in the Old Testament are actually examples of faith. See, Jews longed for this vengeance against the Gentiles. To them, salvation and vengeance went together. And Jesus says, my salvation doesn't operate according to those rules. And Jesus does speak a lot about judgment. And that makes us uncomfortable sometimes. But his judgment is never aimed at Gentiles. It's always aimed at the self-righteous. And where Nazareth assumed there would be judgment on Gentiles, Jesus says, no, there's actually mercy. And where Nazareth assumed and felt entitled to mercy, Jesus says, no, actually, there's judgment. 
and he refuses to play by their rules. He smashes their expectations. And this is a tragic scene. I think it would be amiss to not just pause and say, look at what's happening here. We haven't reached the end of the story just yet. We're almost there, but Jesus' own people, his hometown, the ones he grew up with, are looking into the face of freedom and liberation and forgiveness and life, and they don't want it because it doesn't come packaged in the way that they expect. And we know from other scriptures that this is not something, a a judgment that Jesus pronounced with a grin, you know, getting kicks out of seeing people miss the truth something he he experienced with tears and sadness. But that's what's happening here. Their self-righteousness has blinded them. Salvation extends to Gentiles, and if that's the case, then they don't want it at all. They want to move on. And this is why the gospel is sweet to some and bitter to others. It's the difference between self-righteousness and brokenness, humility. The gospel is bitter to those who want salvation on their own terms. It's bitter to those who want Jesus to come alongside and to further their agenda. But the gospel is sweet to those who understand that their agendas are twisted and warped much of the time and that their agendas don't need endorsed, they need rewritten entirely. The people who are broken and humble, who know that nothing they can do uh, is worthy of salvation, and listen to the type of people that Jesus comes to, to save. This is out of Isaiah 61 again. It's the poor, it's the prisoners, it's the blind, it's the oppressed. In And poor doesn't just mean material possessions. Poor is also spiritual. Those who realize that they desperately need God's touch and their help, his help, and that even on their best days, they fall short. Jesus said, I've come to give life to those kind of people. This is so hard for us because brokenness is unattractive. In all our conversations, a lot of them, We spend them trying to either hide our brokenness, trying to assert our authority. At church, even at Vox, where it's hopefully safe to belong, that's our heart. But it's not always going to be the case because we're human beings. And to really come to Jesus and to really see his salvation, it knocks us down a few levels the poor, the oppressed, the blind. Jesus said, if if you're willing to acknowledge that is you, that you're in total need of restoration, then I I have good news for you. Jubilee is found in me. Complete freedom and rest and forgiveness and liberation. Brokenness is hard for us, but here's something amazing. Jesus does not just demand humility and brokenness from us as if to say, do these things or else. He could have done that. He has every right to. 
as the creator, yet instead of just demanding brokenness, he took on brokenness in humility himself. I mean, think about how ridiculous this is, this whole scene. The Son of God, all-powerful, with all authority, puts himself at the mercy of this angry crowd. He puts himself in their midst. And listen to what happens. These are the last few verses of the story. The people were furious, and then it says, they got up, they drove him out of town, and they took him to the top of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Which, by the way, don't you wonder what that means? To just sort of slip out, you know? Or, I don't know. I don't know. But I want you to catch the flow of this story. Jesus is driven out of town. He's taken up onto a hill where they attempt to throw him down into death. And 19 chapters later, this same story is retold in the Gospel of Luke. And it's in a different place. It's told more beautifully and also more tragically. Jesus, again, in Luke 24, the story repeats, he's driven out of town, Jerusalem. He's taken up onto a hill called Golgotha. And this time, he is thrown down into death on a cross. And just like Jesus walks through the hostile crowd and escapes death in Luke 24, he walks out of a tomb having conquered death. The story is a picture, it's a preview of what Jesus will do for the broken, for the humble, for those who realize the limits of their own self-righteousness. Part of what Vox was founded on was this sense of really repentance at the self-righteousness that defines the church much of the time. Self-righteousness that somehow thinks we can earn um, the love of God. And the good news is we don't have to. It's offered as a gift to be received. And Jesus' invitation to us is amazing. It's him saying to us, I have risen I've conquered death, and so can you. Come to me. This is why we come back to the story again and again and again to remind ourselves, to to cling to, to hold on to the beauty of Jesus. The tragedy of Nazareth turning their backs, kicking Jesus out of town, is meant to show us how easy it is to miss Jesus' offer of life and salvation. It's so easy to be blinded to the hope that is in him because so many other agendas, so many other things come in the way. And I want us to say this simply and clearly. If you have experienced life in his name, what a gift. If you haven't, Don't miss it. It's for you. It's offered to you. 
Most of us are probably Gentiles in this room. We have been included in what he has done. I want to end um, just by reading the words of an old hymn. Okay, so excuse the old-timey language, but um, really what I would love is as we, as we close is just to be reminded of the story of Jesus of who he is, how beautiful he is. You know, we say we want to make Jesus beautiful. Well, underlying that statement is the belief that he already is. The reason much of the world doesn't see him as beautiful is because we get in the way. And the Gospels give us this clear picture of of who he is. So let me read this to you. I love the title. It's called Tell Me the Old, Old Story. Just this idea of reminding ourselves of sitting in it again and again and again and realizing anew what we have in him. And so here, here's the hymn. Tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Tell me the story simply as to a little child for I am weak and weary and helpless and defiled. Tell me the story slowly that I may take it in. That wonderful redemption, God's remedy for sin. I love this next line. Tell me the story often, for I forget so soon. The early dew of morning has passed away at noon. Tell me the same old story when you have cause to fear, when this world's empty glory is costing me too dear. And when the Lord's bright glory is dawning on my soul, tell me the old, old story. Christ Jesus makes me whole. Let's pray. Jesus, give us eyes to see who you are. God, remind us of your power and your goodness. Lord, reveal our hearts. Show us the ways that we seek freedom and salvation apart from you. Lord, the ways that we believe we can get there on our own. Lord, the places that we we miss you. I pray that you would open eyes and hearts to see you, Jesus, in your beauty and in your power and in your goodness, in your kindness. God, that the story of the world points to you. God, the story of our lives points to you and you invite us. Would we take that invitation, God? We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, don't forget a couple quick things as you go. We've got um, Carrie's workshop in a few weeks, so you can sign up. Go to the website, voxoc.com. All the information is there. Uh, the lectionary readings, if you want more of that, that's there, as well as uh, Vox dinners, which are coming up, which we want to invite you to, into that as well. Uh, but as you go, God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.